What's up, guys? Really grateful you guys are listening to the pod. I would love it if you could take just five seconds to leave a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you might be listening to this. It really goes a long way to spread the message, which would allow me to get better guests to add more value to your life. And if you're one of the special people that have helped spread the word on this podcast, I am deeply appreciative of your support. Enjoy the episode. Hi, my name is Kimmy Ann. I'm a professional dominatrix. I like motivational spanker. Professional kink and BDSM expert. Of kink, somatic therapy, and how we can transmute pain into pleasure. Are there any commonalities of what men find more kinky versus Uh, what women do? I have to say. How do you define kink? Yeah. So I, how do we look at things that are really surface, like dirty talk, like spanking, like role play, and how it can actually not only be an erotic fun thing that could be pleasurable for me and my partner, but it actually could benefit us somehow. We can bring that outside of the bedroom, into our work, into our friendships, into society. When it comes to attraction or maintaining desire, are there differences between men and women that you find that are Mm. more common? You know, when it comes to, like, on a biological level. Welcome to Growth Minds. Whether it's your first time here or you've been here before, I'm curious to know what it is that brought you here. And if you can, smash that like button below. It really helps spread our message to more people. All right, on to the episode. All right, boom. Kimmy. Hi. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, very excited to have you. Thank you for begging me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that didn't happen. No, that comes off camera. Come on. <laughs> we talked about this already. <laughs> I'm really excited to have you on. This is such a new, fresh topic that I'm personally not averse to. And I'm so excited to just pick your brain about how you've come about this expertise and mm. this experience that you've had. How did you first get started? And would I, would it be right to call it like the on your website at least it was the BDSM mm. lifestyle? Uh, your somatic therapist, core energetic mm-hmm. uh, practitioner. Yes. Where did this all start and originate from? It's funny you say that because I tell people it really started when I was ten years old. Ten and years old. Yes, Whoa. and I'll explain. So I was watching an R-rated movie with my mom called Basic Instinct, okay. and in that movie, there's a lot of violently sexual scenes. And during one of those scenes, my mom turned to me and she looked at me and she said, "You should not be watching this." And I'm like ten or eleven years old at the time, and I just went. <gasps> like all of these chemicals got released into my body. My heart started racing. My stomach was flip-flopping. My genitals were tingling. I'm sweating. And I remember in that moment thinking to myself, oh, then it feels so good to do things we're not supposed to be doing. Oh, interesting. The restriction yes, got you. the naughtiness, the taboo of it all. It was like literally the first moment of me really experiencing my arousal and huh. all of these sort of chemicals being released into my body, which I wasn't aware of at the time, but it was such a feeling of aliveness that it had really left this big impression on me. And I talk a lot about these impressions because people get curious around where their desires and fantasies 
these come from? And oftentimes it comes from the impressions that we had as we were growing up around sex, intimacy, Mm. relationships, and love. So fast forward and I'm in high school with my first boyfriend and he's 16 years old and I'm 16 years old and we have sex for the first time together. And probably three times in, I'm like, oh God, is this it? And I was like, let's switch it up a little bit. Like, let's dress up and pretend we're different people and let's tie each other up. Like 16. 16, Yeah, he's my first boyfriend. We were madly in love at the time as a 16 year olds can be. And um, he was just like, happy to have sex at all. But he was like, why do you need all this weird shit? Mm. And I didn't know why at the time it didn't make sense to me because no one was talking about, you know, these sort of kinky activities that I was interested in, but still I was imagining and having these creative scenarios in my head that would be considered kinky. Mm. Anyway, you know, fast forward again, it's 2001 and I'm living in Tokyo as a DJ. No way, I didn't know that. That's right. Oh, cool. My travels, I've been wearing a lot of different hats, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, eventually people started asking me to do, um, DJ at fetish parties. And up until that point, my idea of kink and fetish and all of that was like pulp fiction, bring out the gimp and like hoods and like just scary, intimidating, intense things, whips, chains, things like that. And that Mm. did not interest me whatsoever. But when I started DJing at these fetish parties, it felt like everything clicked into place. I felt like I had come home because I was Mm. witnessing these people creating these scenarios that were already in my head, but they were doing it with fun and pleasure and imagination and these crazy costumes and outfits. Especially in a foreign country, in in Japan, where you don't know the language, like you felt at home there. I did. I was like, oh, these are my people. And they were so welcoming and really like, you know, wanted to help educate me in what this whole world was. And I eventually met professional dominatrixes, most of them expats. And they kind of took me under their wing and showed me this world of what it means to be a professional dominatrix. Mm. And I just was like absolutely mesmerized by the psychology of it. And also what I didn't actually understand at the time was also really interested in the energy that I was feeling in these scenarios and like, why do we have the desires we have? Why do we have the fantasies we have? Mm. And are we actually tapping into what our bodies are truly capable of? Um, so I got really curious. I went back to school to study somatic therapy because I just felt like there was something more for me to learn here. And as a somatic therapist, you know, I was learning about the body, our connection to my mind and body, of course, how important that is, but also our own energy and how it's so important to have these relational experiences in order to heal. And we need human contact in order to rewire our brains even. Sure. So Along with that training, I was doing some Tantra and continuing my conscious kink sort of journey and bringing all of those elements together. And instead of just doing classic somatic therapy work, I actually let go of my licensure so I wouldn't have the red tape that comes along with being licensed. And I started creating these um, coaching experiences because you can say coach um, and get away with a lot of things. Um, So I was doing these coaching sessions, which were very therapeutic, very... Um, educational and very empowering and helping people kind of feel into like what their bodies were capable of experiencing and how their erotic energy was really linked to their life force and mm. how they show up in the world. So and this combination you call core energetics. Yeah. So, that, that so one of the modalities I trained in as a somatic therapist is called yeah. core energetics, mm. was, which is similar to Peter Levine's um, somatic experiencing. And it's really, really dynamic. So you're using things like, um, 
family constellation work, you're using scenarios where you're almost like um, acting out or like playing out different traumas and mm. having a new experience of it. So your body can have a bodily visceral experience of something because again, you have to go beyond your mind in order right. to heal. So when your body's actually feeling a, a scenario where it can feel safe and have sort of a do-over situation, that can be really powerful. Mm. Put that in an erotic setting on top of it all, where there's sexual energy involved and, and there's Tantra and kinky elements involved and it just takes things to a whole other level. Mm. And what you're doing instead of trauma-informed care, you're going with a process called pleasure-informed care. You're letting the pleasure of your body lead you instead of the trauma leading you. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, so it's a really- More positive way to approach Really positive and more sustainable. Mm. Also, the idea of um, moving from our trauma, that's just not a sustainable model. Sure. And so it's important to honor those parts and places of ourselves. But it's also like, how do we get back to the truth and wisdom of our pleasure? Because mm. our bodies are wired for pleasure. As much programming as we've received that it's wrong and it's bad and it's self-indulgent, it's actually really a pathway to our healing and our empowerment. Mm. How do you define kink? Yeah. So I borrow a definition that Jaya Ma, who created the erotic blueprints has, has used, but I've expanded it a bit. So the definition of kink that I live by is that you are turned on by the taboo. And it could be what you're turned on by um, or what you consider taboo, or it could be what your culture considers to be taboo yeah. or your religion or society. So for some cultures, you know, talking dirty and premarital, premarital sex is taboo, right. you know, and then other cultures, uh, it's okay if you have premarital sex, but you can't do ABC, right? You can't, you know, um, have gay sex, for example. Mm. So there's certain ways that it depends on where you come from what you consider to be taboo, but it's the taboo nature to kink that gives it the juice that it has. Mm. Because without it feeling taboo, there's none of that like electricity and none of that like, ooh, I shouldn't be doing this. Like I told you earlier, my mom yeah. said, you shouldn't be watching this. And my whole body like, had a yeah, reaction of like, ooh, yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Oh my God, Tell I'm being more. so bad. Yeah, <laughs> like, I love it. And, and that's what kink is essentially. And yeah. The kind of kink that I work with is conscious kink. So the conscious kink is very similar to regular kink, except that there's a high level of intention for the act of being kinky. Hmm. So instead of just coming together for a slap and a tickle, you're really coming together to maybe dive into the depths of intimacy. Maybe you wanna reach euphoric states to help you sort of interrupt patterns and you wanna feel unconditional love, like very similar to medicine journeys, sure. like MDMA and psilocybin. Um, but there's just a, a sense of there's more emphasis around the connection of the, the players as opposed to the experience. So connection is mm. really important. Communication, trust, all of these things come into play when you're doing conscious kink. It's very yeah. different than just having sex with someone and then like spanking their ass and asking them, you know, who's your daddy? <laughs> like that's right. not the kind of kink I'm talking about. Sure, you know sure. what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. Do you think you mentioned Japan and that becoming kind of this hub of where you discover dominatrix and everything. Yeah. Do you think that if taboo and kink really comes from tabooness, mm -hmm. do you think that cultures that were more repressed, let's say I grew up, uh, I was born in Korea, mm. very conservative compared to, and I was visiting Japan a lot, very conservative to Canada, mm -hmm. um, obviously very conservative to, to the States. Do you think that cultures and, and maybe people that grew up in those more repressed or religious places have more 
kink that they're suppressing yeah. versus someone that's grew up in a very open-minded family. Liberal. Yeah, it's a good yeah. question, right? Because um, even with all of the work I've done on myself, um, the, the stuff that I'm interested in and get turned on by, I don't personally think it's that taboo um, at, because of my journey in life. But I know my religion, which was Catholic, would think so. And, you know, mm. my family members would think so. So there's an essence that's alive in all of that as well. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of um, connection between how much repression there is in a society or in an individual's life and how that sexual energy has to go somewhere. Yeah. Right. So it doesn't just vanish and disappear if it's getting squished down and it's getting repressed and it's getting denied and it's getting exiled, it's gonna go somewhere. And what normally happens is that it taps into our imaginations and there it's really interesting because our bodies are super clever and really, really smart. And a lot of times the clients that I've worked with, when we've sort of um, picked apart their fantasies and their desires, we've kind of come to a lot of conclusions that a lot of the times we're always eroticizing the needs that were unmet as we were growing up as children. So it's mostly it goes back to childhood. A lot of it does, because yeah. that's when our initial impressions were. Right. Yeah, like there was um, this one client that I had, this woman who was an interior designer and she hadn't had an orgasm in like maybe 15, 20 years. Wow. And she had reached out to me because she had seen sex therapists, she'd seen doctors, she's done all the things she could think of. Still, even if she was self-pleasuring, she could not have an orgasm. But she was very interested in the idea of BDSM and kink and had reached out to me because she had heard about the energetic work that I was doing. So I sat down with her and I do these like two hour intakes and I got a lot of information around what are you into? What are you interested, interested in exploring? And then I start digging into the history and I start asking her a little bit about, tell me about your relationship relationship to sex growing up. Like, how did you learn about it? What were the impressions mm. that you had around sexuality? Like, were your parents affectionate with each other? Like, you know, tell me all the things. What she shared was that when she started learning about her body and exploring her body around three or four years old, she remembers like being playing in her bed and she was like rubbing her genitals on a pillow. And she realized that that made her feel really good. Mm. So she was like, oh, this is cool, you know? And so as an innocent child does, was like, I'm gonna follow the pleasure. I'm gonna right. follow this. That's most Not people, thinking right? there's anything bad about sure. it. But when she would get caught, her mother would scold her, she would beat her, she would punish her, all of these sort of things. So she would keep trying to follow the pleasure, but when she would get caught, she would continuously get punished to the point that she said, it's too dangerous. Her body made a decision, it's too dangerous to have pleasure because if I'm caught having my pleasure, I could be punished for it or I could, mm. I could be unloved. And if to a child with that, you know, they think their parents are their whole world, that could mean death to a child. Right. So it's almost like this life or death situation. Mm. So I'm, you know, collecting all this information. I know she shared some of this with her therapist in the past, but what I wanted to do was actually bring it into a scenario where she could actually play it out and have a different experience. Sure. So given the parameters of what we discussed, I created this scene for her. We're taking her through an experience where I'm leading her through her fantasy. I'm sort of dominating her. She's following, I'm tying her up. I'm doing sensation play. I'm doing impact play. And at one point near the end of the scene, I have her tied at the end of my four poster bed and she's at the very edge of the bed and I have both of her arms uh, tied to each pole and I have her knees, she's kneeling, yeah. I have each knee tied to each pole. So she's kind of like an X figure just sitting at the edge of the bed. 
and I start shoving pillows between her legs. Mm. And she's like, I can see in her eyes, like, oh my God, what's going on? And because we hadn't discussed any of this. Right, right. I'm shoving pillows under her legs and I tell her, I want you to ride those pillows and I want you to have an orgasm. And she's like, okay. And so she's like kind of riding on the pillows mm. and I'm like, look me right in the eyes and I want you to hear this. You are so beautiful. You deserve to have pleasure. Your body was made for pleasure. And I'm so sorry that someone told you the lies that they told you. You are worthy. You are enough. And she's riding the pillows and she's crying. Oh and she's crying and she's shaking. Damn. And she starts having this full body orgasm, not really from the genitals, but from yeah. her heart and from her soul and like the depths of her beingness. And it was just a really powerful moment to have this like redo of a scenario mm. that really kept her from what she really wanted in life. Literally from that day forward, she once again had access to her pleasure and her yeah. access to her orgasm. And that's no wow. longer a problem anymore. Would you say for a lot of the clients that you help resolve that at the end of the day, it comes down to you giving them permission to feel that the way they should that it's, they've been repressing for a while. It's so true. Permission is a big part of it. And it makes me sad because who the fuck am I to give right. anyone permission? But that's really kind of what it boils down to that it's okay that you feel this way and that you're interested in this. Hmm. And sometimes that's all that somebody needs to hear and to trust that they are lovable and that they're valuable and that they're worthy and enough. Um, and that they're not too much and all of those stories that come along with being, you know, rejected and punished and things like that. So yeah. yeah, permission is a big part of the work that I do in my classes and my one-on-one -on -one work. It's like really like saying like, this is okay. Like you're not alone and you don't have to do this alone either. Yeah. Mm. I'd be curious because before we dig into kind of the work that you do with clients and I think people hear kink, BDSM, all of these things. Yeah. And in today's society, it's so easy to judge because you see a TikTok headline or you see an Instagram post here and there. What do you think are the biggest and most common misconceptions that people have about mm. who you are as a person mm. and also the work that you do to serve others? Yeah, it's so funny. You know, people will reach out to me. I have a big following on TikTok and a decent size on um, Instagram, but people will reach out to me and like, I'm so surprised you're so nice. <laughs> and I'm like, no, really? what did you expect? Like, <laughs> I'm very nice. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a very kind, like loving person. Um, yeah. Cause I, I don't walk around like thinking I own the world and everyone in it. But um, it's really interesting what sort of stories people make up around kink mm -hmm. and BDSM, but rightly so. Cause if you look at the media and you look at what's been on um, TV shows and in movies and things like that, you're going to see a lot of dysfunction and a lot of abuse and a lot of unconsensual acts and a lot of violence that is disguised to being kinky and erotic. And that's mm. really con confusing for people to understand. So being able to like really like rewire that part of our brains to be like, this is all consensual and is actually agreed upon and it's sought after it being beneficial, not only for the players in the room, but for the world at whole. Like I don't do anything in an erotic setting that I think actually might not serve the world as a whole. Sure. So it could be anything from like, you know, kink is um, violent and abuse and that our bodies don't know the difference between violence and kink, which is incorrect. And our bodies do understand if we're having 
a lot of trust, safety, communication, and things like that. It's a very different experience than when you were, you know, five years old getting spanked because you, you know, did something bad as opposed to being consensually uh, doing that as adults in an erotic punishment. Your body registers the sensations very differently. Um, But yeah, also people, when they hear I'm a dominatrix, their head goes to like, oh, a woman who wears head to toe leather and likes to abuse men for a living. Cool, you know. Um, All the porn that they probably watch has also influenced them, right? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Instead of this idea of like, well, as... Um, a dominatrix, I don't really use that term. I use erotic leader. That's a term mm. that I've coined and I teach people how to be erotic leaders. And as an erotic leader, um, my focus is really on the principles of erotic leadership, which is presence, accountability, creativity, surrender, heart, collaboration. Mm. I could go on, but it's really like keeping those um, ideas in mind, holding space and giving someone an opportunity to really fully be expressed. Yeah. Um, and, and so it better serves them and their higher good. Like that's kind of what I do in those yeah. spaces. And that's what I want to teach people how to do in their lives. Powerful. Yeah. Uh, I want to get into some of the juicy stuff, which is, well, for people that, let's say you're a couple and you have been together for maybe a year, two years, three years. Right. Sometimes marriage for 50, you know, 30 years and they hear you and they want to spice up their sex life, but maybe this is a world that they're not versed in, right? They don't really know where to start. Where, what is a good place to start for someone that, you know, they've just had regular sex, normal sex, and they're Mm -hmm. happy, but Mm -hmm. they want to spice things up, but they hear that dominatrix maybe seems too intimidating for some people sure. yeah, that's or a big leap, right? <laughs> it is a big leap uh, or they just don't really know where to start yeah so what is like a safer or avenue to get people into that door path i love that you're asking this because i'm all about baby steps you yeah. know because it's so um, easy to get kind of swept up in the excitement of new newness and novelty mm. but it can also like um can almost traumatize people if they're not really going at the pace that their body needs them to go. And that can cause a lot of issues moving forward. So, you know, when I think about um, being interested in what else, like you're, again, you're in this long-term relationship and you're like, what else is there, babe? Like I'm, I, I encourage people to really talk and communicate about the what else, what's more. I, in fact, encourage people to actually create a date with their partner to be like, hey, I would love to have an experience where we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about our desires and we're going to talk about possibilities and we're going to have like a conversation about these things Mm. and like actually setting the intention of like exploring like what else is there for us and is there a way that we can kind of come together and agree upon what that journey could look like. Mm. So really being intentional around creating a, a conversation around this And then there's a lot of resources that you can incorporate into this conversation if you like. I have a free kink checklist, um, which is basically a list of possibilities. That's all it is. And when I say kink, once again, keep in mind that it's just sort of an idea that some of these might feel a little naughty and a little taboo, depending on where you come from. But essentially, it's just a list of possibilities that you can explore with your partner. And you can actually sit down with your partner and not necessarily go through a list of like spanking, yes, bondage, no, dirty talk, yes. Like it's not like that kind of checklist. It's just an opportunity to start a conversation around like 
when you see these words of spanking or bondage, like how does it make your body feel? Do you feel curious? Do you feel terrified? Let's have a conversation about it. Like, let's start there and notice what's the information that's coming from our bodies. Yeah. Because I might be a, oh, I'm curious about that. And my partner might be like, that sounds awful. Then I would say, you know, listen, I looked on this King checklist. I'm a fuck yes to spanking, but Sean, you're saying you're not. I am not. Uh, yeah, like, let's say we were, yeah. like if we were to no, be that couple, yeah, yeah. right? You're like, actually. <laughs> He's like, that's incorrect, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. um, so, <laughs> and um, I would even go as far as saying like, well, I would like to share what my vision of spanking could look like because maybe the vision you have is completely different than mine. Like yours might be, again, um, you didn't do the dishes right. I'm going to punish you and spank mm. you. Mine might be like, I have this vision of like using it to move energy in my body. And in fact, in this very tantric sense, our hands and our arms are extensions of our heart, our fourth chakra. Sure. And when you're spanking someone on their bottom, you're actually activating their first chakra. So I have this idea of being spanked in this way where my partner's really in their hearts, they're extending their hearts through their hands, they're touching my first chakra and we're manifesting wealth and abundance in my life. Mm. Like that's the kind of spanking I'm talking about. Given that new information, is there a curiosity around maybe exploring that with me, not as a way of punishing me or causing me pain, but as a way of helping me open and call in more of what I want in life? Sure. Right. And then in that, that, that partner might be like, oh, that's a total reframe of what I thought spanking was. My idea of spanking is not the same as yours. Right. And these are just like the tip of the iceberg of how deep these conversations can go. And then you can also, you know, dive into like what has been some of your turn-ons, um, you know, over the years and what are the things you've always wanted to try and never felt like the courage to talk about. And mm. just talking about those things can be so vulnerable and so connecting and so enlivening to the spirit. You sure. know what I mean? So sure. first things first, like see if you can actually have a conversation. If you're not in partnership, I would still recommend looking at this King checklist and feeling into your body and feeling into you know, where are you at right now in your life? Where are some of the places that feel excited about some of these possibilities? Where are the fears lying? Because there's a lot of gold in that information. There's so much gold. We take so much for face value and at the surface. Right. But if we were willing to d dig a little deeper, there's so much that can be gained and learned from that information. So true. Because I think if you're not in the world, mm. maybe because you have different perspectives of like what it even means to be kinky in a relationship or with right. sex, that checklist is so important because it opens up ideas that maybe you didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of allows you to have the conversation in the first place and put a safe place to do that. Yeah. For people that um, maybe are just about to explore this, are there any commonalities of what men find more kinky uh. versus what women do just based on your experience? Yeah, you know, people are very curious around those questions. Yeah. And I have to say, like, it's really hard for me to generalize in these uh, scenarios often. Sure. Um, because there is such a wide variety. It's almost like uh, more interested in like where has some of their family history lied and some of their like uh, initial impressions around sexuality. There might be some similar veins as opposed to gender specifically. Yeah. Um, but oftentimes, you know, I work with a lot of men who are dealing from shame because they're interested in the idea of submission. Like they're mm. really interested in being dominated by a woman or by, by someone. 
Um, and a lot of men struggle with that. You know, there's a lot of um, masculinity, our, our culture ego, that's like, how, yeah. did, how could you yeah. let a woman dominate you? Oh my God, <laughs> right, like you're so right. weak and, and things like that. I remember I was at this uh, play party. I hold a lot of play parties in Austin and I had this couple approach me and the woman was really excited and the man was very reserved. And she's like, I really want you to dominate my partner and he's never been dominated before. And I was like, is this something that you want? He's like, I don't know. I feel mm. like I've never done this. I've always been dominant my whole life, but I'm curious about it and you come really highly regarded. And so I'm curious. And I was like, okay, let's talk a little bit about like, what are some of the fears? And he's like, well, I don't want to be emasculated right. and I don't want to feel weak and I don't want to feel like pathetic. And, you know, I don't want to feel bad about myself. And I was like, okay, like what if we created a scenario where it was actually in service to your wholeness? And mm. like, I was actually going to actually step into the authority not to have power over, but to have power with. So I created this scenario for him where we um, basically played into the scenario that it was in ancient times. And in ancient times, men would go away to war for months and months at a, at a time. Right. And before they were able to return back to society after the war was over, they would have to stop at the temple where the priestesses lived. And the priestesses would use a variety of different tactics to help um, mend the, the, the men and help bring them back to their hearts again. Mm. They would use everything from, um, you know, sexual tactics to kinky tactics and literally taking off the armor they were wearing, but then also figuratively and energetically taking off the, the armor mm. that was there. Sure. So I was applying this context to the scene that we were doing and letting him know this is to help you take off your armor because the war is over. Come back to your heart again while incorporating things like impact play, bondage, things of that nature. But the context was different. Mm. And he was just crying and like felt like so held and so seen because him, me and his partner, she was also acting as a co-priestess as part of this experience. The more dominant? Yes, exactly, okay. exactly. Um, so it was the more dominant role technically, but um, essentially it didn't feel like we were trying to dominate him in the sense of what we were trying to uplift him sure. and up level him and guide that process. So giving him a completely different reframe. But you know, even if a man wanted to be specifically you know, power over and dominated by another person. I mean, I think that just creates a lot of balance in life because so often these men are at the head of their companies, they're CEOs, they have Fortune 500 companies sure. or they're in powerful positions or they're the breadwinners in their own household. And sometimes the body and, and the spirit just wants some balance and they actually want to like let go and not be responsible for anything. It feels fairly natural to mm. want harmony in your own energetic system. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm -hmm. you use the word that I, I resonated more because I think a lot of men, when they hear being dominated, mm -hmm. it kind of immediately sets that ego trigger along, oh, right? totally. I'm not going to be dominated. Yeah. I would never, never be dominated. No way. Right, and I'm like, yeah, right. but you want, your do you want to dominate your partner, hmm. but it's okay for her to be submissive to you, but you would never be submissive. Do you know what kind of energy you're sort of relaying to your, to the energy field at whole? Yeah. You have a judgment over submission. You have a judgment around surrender. So you're going to, in fact, your partner who you want to surrender to you, but you're going to actually have this thing that you're holding unconsciously that you look down on her for it. So what is it about this idea of surrender that's so terrifying to you? Because the person who's in surrender is actually the one in power. Mm. Like it's so easy to give. It's really hard to receive. Right. That's the scary place to be. That's the exposed place to be, you know? It's so true. And 
What happens from your experience for, let's say, a heterosexual men-women relationship where the man has been more dominant and the woman has been more submissive, if a man finally is able to surrender? That was the mm-hmm. word that you used, I mm-hmm. think, which more men can probably resonate yeah. with listening to this. Yeah. Um, what happens to the man's emotions, their feelings, their outlook on life, whatever they might be have been repressing when they're able to surrender and what happens to women when they reverse that role from being submissive and step Mm. into their power anything is possible that's the really cool part about it you know what i mean like um again you're right submit is very different than surrender so like i'm glad that you actually called that out and forward so thank you for that um because that could be a really great reframe for people to really connect to because there's a lot of women that submit but they don't necessarily feel like they're surrendering either right so it it can be this like complex thing that's that's happening um but what can happen to someone what i've noticed is that the further along people are on their sexual and erotic journeys and healing and things like that i've noticed the less fixed they are and how it sort of how they flow with it so Mm. what i've noticed is the more healing and more integration that happens most of the time men and women aren't like really fixed in these roles they're more like fluid they're, they might even be more switchy and be like oh i i i might go with the flow here like i think yeah. about um you know i think about erotic encounters like uh, partner dancing and hmm. if you think about a tango for example like you'll notice like there's a man and woman usually and the man's leading in in the scenario and he's dominating the the thing and she's beautiful following him and next thing you know she slaps him in the face. Like that is a very, yeah, that's no a very way. tango-y thing. Huh. She'll slap him in the face and be like, hey, I'm here, you know? And then he'll be like, all right, get over here, you know? Right. And there's this moment of like having a little bit of a power struggle and having a moment of that. So the more evolved you are in erotic sense, you're not necessarily fixated on like, I must be dominant and you must be submissive the entire thing. It's just a dance. Sure. It's just like a flow of energy. Yeah. And not like getting so um, tied into this idea it's supposed to look a certain way um so Mm. i think it's really important to remember our evolution is just like very fluid and Mm. it can look a lot of different ways for people but if you're able to kind of fall into something that's the opposite of what you're used to like you mentioned men being in their surrender and women being in their power you'll notice it's the same side of the same coin like at the end of the day and it's just like really being connected to the fullness of what life can look like your your full humanity and not Mm. playing small and in this limited way that you've been playing in yeah i mean when i think about attraction Mm -hmm. it's always that i mean it could be a person it could be a city you want to live in it could be a job it's always that push pull relationship it's never one or the other right and it's that dance that you mentioned Mm. where you can keep that spark alive using the balance of the push and pull. And for people that are in these relationships that want to continue to maintain that desire, that attraction, what are some of the tools that you recommend? And I guess first off, I should should mention, I think the first common thing that a lot of people in relationships do when maybe the they're ready to go to that next level is to bring in a third partner. Mm-hmm. It could be a threesome, it mm-hmm. could be going to swing clubs or maybe seeing like a, a tantric coach or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend that mm. or do you recommend fixing or not, maybe fixing is a bad word, but maybe flaming that desire mm-hmm. between those two people first before you bring in 
a third partner, if that's even what you want to do? Yeah, I think it's a really good question because <clears throat> kind of what your question is um, lending itself to is this idea of polarity and how those sort of um, opposites attract, that magnetism that happens. But if it's too polarized um, and it pushes people away, then there's no connection. But if it's too polarized, it also could cause conflict, right? Sure. So it's that healthy amount of tension. And when I say tension, people get like, oh, tension's bad, isn't it? I'm like, no, tension is actually not um, bad if it's the right amount, that's perfect sweet spot of mm. tension. You know, when you think about extremes, you're thinking about tension being really painful and in, or there's zero indifference, right? And like, there's also this middle ground that's yeah. really, really juicy. That's the sustainable place that like feels good for everyone involved. So when people are kind of looking to spice things up and looking at like ways of doing that, I think it can be really risky of looking at stuff outside of the relationship and outside of themselves in order to fix it. I get right. a little curious around has there been any sort of ruptures within the relationship that need repair? Is there anything that's not being fully said? Because another way of ki killing Eros and killing polarity is actually um, shape-shifting or people-pleasing and actually not really stepping into your fullness of who you are. And you're yeah. actually kind of adjusting and contracting yourself into being the perfect person for this relationship. But it's actually fucking killing the energy of the relationship. So getting curious a little bit around like, am I actually in my truth and in my fullness as an individual as part of this relationship? Right. Or is this ways that I actually leave parts of myself behind in order to have peace in this relationship as a way to be in this relationship at all? Mm. I have to kind of cut parts of myself out because that's not sustainable either. That's not gonna help. So once you kind of get a little clear, clearer around like what's actually in the present, what's happening now, and then move it from a place of like exploration from consciousness and from fullness, it's going to be a lot more fun with you and your partner. So sure. I would just get curious, like, you know, it's, it could be a quick fix to get that third person in or, you know, go to that swinger party. That could be a fix, a fix for the moment, but it's probably not going to be a long-term cure. Yeah. It's an to, easy one to grab that. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, you know, keeping those things in mind around like, yeah, yeah. Like what is, um, what's the, what's at the core of things and seeing if we can kind of meet there first and then move from the pl that place. Yeah, I mean, we, we hear that a lot where mm -hmm. if you try to get into a relationship, but the mo the place that you're at in life is trying to look for someone that can fill a hole that, you right. know, literally, <laughs> fill a hole that literally <laughs> is, is, not, is missing in you. Yeah. And that kind of creates often like that anxious avoidant attachment style relationship totally. where one person is missing and they hope that this person can fill that hole. And obviously one plus one should equal three in a relationship when you start. Mm. But I find myself as I progress through relationships that there's places that I didn't even realize that I had weaknesses in mm -hmm. that are coming alive that maybe would never have been discovered if I didn't enter into a relationship. Beautiful. And it's a constant evolution, right? right? Totally. Um, but I really like that point that you mentioned. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's really beautiful. You know, our relationships can hold so much growth for our evolution, which is so important. And when we think of our partners as the reparative parental figure, in a sense, there can be so much that can be gained there. Yeah. But you get curious around like, is this relationship going to be based on, you know, rewriting the past and like, um, you know, kind of 
fixing things that have happened in the past or are we also going to live in our destinies mm. as well? And if you can have a healthy balance of both where it's not just like, you know, past work, but it's also future work, then you have a really solid relationship there. It's true. And you can extrapolate that to, you know, if, if, if you are tempted to get a third person in a relationship for, mm. you know, a quick fix, mm. you also have to realize, as you mentioned, that, you know, just like you can't be in a relationship unless you fix yourself and your whole, mm -hmm. you also have to make sure that the two of you are wholesome before you bring in someone else. So to go back to that, yeah, let's talk about the bedroom. Yes, I love talking about the bedroom. <laughs> Me too. So you're in the bedroom and you are presented with a lot of tools that maybe a lot of people aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about dirty talk for a second. Okay. I'm not the best dirty talker, I'm going to be you honest. You have a really great voice for it. Thank so we got to work on that. We do. Yeah. We do. <laughs> what are some of the big no-nos when it comes to dirty talk that might turn a partner off yep. or that just isn't? Because I think, <laughs> oh, this is repetitive. Or I think, um, oh, I feel kind of silly doing this. Sure. But yeah, talk, talk to me a little bit about those things. Okay. Well, I will say, as with most things erotic and sexual and kinky, et cetera, that springing it on your partner out of nowhere is probably the worst idea ever. I know people want to be spontaneous and mm. I know people want to like, you know, be in the moment. And I think it is so important to still have this foundation around what do what truly does turn you and your partner on. So you have some guidelines on how to use language to benefit both of your experiences. Mm. So often, you know, in the heat of the moment the somebody's like calling someone daddy and the guy's like oh i don't like being called daddy you know and like <laughs> there's things that happen because sure. there was no conversation about it and um it's so important to like again sit down with your partner and be like let's talk about what turns us on not just like the physical activities that turn us on but like what sort of language would you like to hear like have you noticed there's certain words that you like do you like being called a good girl for example do you like being called a dirty little slut like those are two very different scenarios you mm. know and like really getting clear on like what feels good to the person in the moment um is a really important thing to recognize. And also to like give yourself some leeway to say like, hey, we're trying this out and we're just, we may not even really know, but like, let's give ourselves a little bit of grace uh, right. while we kind of explore this a little bit. But as far as I know, I feel like I'd really like more reassuring language and praise and things of like that I'm sexy and beautiful and instead of like that I'm a dirty bitch, whatever, right, like, you right. know what I mean? Instead of downgrading. Also, yeah. th there's an another thing, you know, there's a possessive aspect of dirty talk that might be really important. So not just saying like, you're a good girl, you're my good girl, you're not a slut, you're my slut. Like that mm. little difference can make a whole, you know, scene go in a different direction, right. essentially. Oh, so there's like these little concepts because words are spells and language is really, really powerful. And I like to use really affirming language that, um, you know, supports my partner into remembering their greatness and their brilliance and things like that. Even if they're interested in humiliation, I'm able to kind of elevate that sure. sort of talk. So it actually benefits them in some level. So, and that's also understanding their their love language, right? Like totally. some people really have a turn on for words, words. and affirmation versus Absolutely. touch perhaps, yeah. And also so that they, what you're mentioning is a really good point because that's an idea of how do I get more attuned and understand the manual of my partner while they understand the manual of me. So love languages is a good thing to know. Yeah. Asking them what their erotic blueprint is, it's a really good thing to know. You can how, take what a is, quiz what on exact, like, yeah, okay. So, 
The Erotic Blueprints was created by a woman named Jaya Ma, and her work has been um, really helpful for people to be able to attune to their own desires. And it's similar to the love languages, except it's for turn on intimacy, sex and arousal. Mm. So you can take a quiz online and you can find out based on your answers, what erotic blueprint you might be. It's energetic, sensual, sexual, kinky, and shapeshifter. But each of those five uh, blueprints have a different way of getting turned on. But if you know your partner's energetic blueprint, it could be good information on how to navigate getting them turned on based on that blueprint. Mm, that's powerful. Yeah, yeah it's like, like a framework. If your partner's like a sexual, for example, they they, they test high as a sexual. Yeah. Dirty talk like, I want to fuck you, take off your clothes, suck my dick. Like really direct and really straightforward sexually based language is going to like light them up. But it's mm. not going to do the same for an energetic. An energetic might get scared and want to run away. Interesting. Okay. And an energetic might be like, I'm really safe. No, you're safe. I'm here with you. Let's look in each other's eyes. Take a deep breath with me. Hmm. <sighs> Tell me what you're feeling right now. And like that language might be more about depth and slowness and a noticing of the body that might get an energetic, like revving to go, mm. you know? So see how different those two are. Yeah. So that could be really helpful for people to understand, like who is my partner and who am I? You mentioned sexual, mm -hmm. energetic. Yes. Sen sensual. Sensual. Kinky, Kinky and shapeshifter. And shapeshifter. Yes. Okay. Oh, mm -hmm. interesting. Got it. Yeah. Um, Off the top of your head, any idea what that might be for you? I don't know what a shapeshifter exactly is. Yeah. So a shapeshifter has sort of like all the blueprints in one and tends to be highly um, erotically intelligent okay. and tends to have a lot of intelligence in the bedroom and is very easily attuned with their partners, but they also love a lot of variety. So they want to switch it up constantly. Hmm. They're really good at meeting the needs of their partners without any problem whatsoever, but they are rarely ever feeling that they get met and filled up. So there's there's the shadows and the lights of each blueprint, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know, actually. I'm going to take the quiz, though. Let's take the quiz. I'm gonna, get back to me. I'm going to text curious. you. I'm going to get some tips from you. I like it. I bet you're like a mix of kinky and energetic, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I feel like kinkies are very, um, forget about the whole spanking thing, but kinkies are very creative hmm. and they're really quick and clever and sharp as well. So um, so they, they are really uh, high on creativity, imagination. Hmm. Um, and yeah, they're really good connectors as well. well speaking of that. Yes. When it comes to role play, yes, what we're talking about all my favorite things, basically, I, all the things I don't know about. So this is great. What yeah. questions do we ask our partners when we want to get into role play? I love the question about role play because oftentimes people are thinking about a few things, like you know, a teacher, student, boss, employee. Like yeah, there's like these the kind of classic porn doc ones, doctor, yeah, yeah. nurse. Like there's these sort of classic scenarios, but. When you think about role play, it could also be a way of infusing polarity, hmm. right? Because you can think about what are the opposites of something. For example, um, in Tantra, there's something called atavism, which is a way of kind of playing with these dynamics, these polar dynamics in an erotic setting where it could be instead of dominant submissive, it could be artist and muse. Like hmm. I'm going to be the creator and you're going to be the inspiration. It could be tiger antelope. Like, what would it mean if we brought out our primal aspects of our beingness right. and we brought out our animalistic parts of us? I'm going to hunt you and you're going to be my prey. Like, how would that actually in, um, 
inspire us in, in the bedroom. Or it could be sun and moon. Like, what would it mean if you were the void and I was the essence of everything? Hmm. Like, you know, you can be really poetic with these ideas sure. and think about like, instead of just putting on a bunch of costumes and pretending to be different people, which is also fucking awesome, <laughs> super fun, because it's nice to take a break from ourselves sure, yeah. and, and be someone else for a while, but you're tapping into archetypes. And when you have an idea of like tapping into different archetypes, then you actually understand that I'm not just this like one dimensional human being. I actually have a symphony of different personalities within myself in the most healthiest way possible. Sure. Like I'm not talking about it in a disorder. I'm talking about like, I'm a complex human being with a lot of layers. What if we were to bring these other parts of me online that don't always get a lot of attention in my nine to five job? Like mm. what if there is some polar opposites of who you are in your work life that you could actually play out in your erotic life that could be really fulfilling for you and your partner. So yeah. you can get really creative around this and, and play with it so much more than just, you know, putting on a doctor's uniform or, or something sure. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the key one is like, you're not trying to escape from who you are. You're exploring the different yeah. possibilities of who you could be and mm -hmm. kind of letting those imaginations run wild. That could bit. be, so that's the thing that we're talking about today, Sean, is like, how do we look at things that are really surface, like dirty talk, like spanking, like role play? These are the topics that we just brought up during this conversation. And sure. what we're doing is we're diving beneath the surface of what those things are yep. and how it can actually not only be an erotic fun thing that could be pleasurable for me and my partner, but it actually could benefit us somehow in a higher level sense. And if we bring that into consciousness, then we can bring that outside of the bedroom. We can actually bring more of that energy into our work, into our friendships, into society mm. and bringing that fullness. I mean, that's magnetic. Like people love being around people who are in their fullness, you know, and in yeah. their unlimited possibility. Like that's the, the people that are the most successful even. Yeah, talk to me about that because yeah, I think yeah. people see the work in the bedroom Mm -hmm. between partners and they think just more immediate which is sexual pleasure and maybe right. it's an enhancement in the relationship between two people mm -hmm. but i think it's rare that people talk about what it does to yourself an individual self where totally. it's not just about the sexual part it's about what you bring to the workplace yeah. that you mentioned it could be the family it could be your own confidence mm. like talk to me a little bit about the benefits when we're able to open up more sexually in, in, in ourselves. Yeah, totally. You know, it's interesting because that kind of energy, the sex energy we're talking about, the erotic energy is our life force energy. And it's part of our creativity and our aliveness and our vibrancy. And it's a shame and a waste if we're just keeping that a lot, like that vibrancy, aliveness and pleasure, orgasmic pleasure in the bedroom. Like mm. that's such a small way of living life and that's such low hanging fruit. So like the idea of like, if you can bring that orgasmic vibrant creative life force outside of the bedroom, that's not sexual. We're not right. talking about being inappropriate or, um, you know, infringing on other people's rights. We're not talking about that. We're talking about bringing that level of aliveness and creativity and vibrancy outside of what you're creating in the bedroom and into all facets of your life. Hmm. And knowing how to channel that energy, I think um, Abraham Hicks actually said, he who has the power is the one who can influence energy. So how are you hmm. influencing your own energy and how do you influence the, the people around you and their energy? When you have that as a mastery in the bedroom, in the most vulnerable, sensitive place you can have it, 
you can take that into any scenario, right. ultimately, because that is the core of our beingness. But that's usually the part of ourselves that people don't really take a look at at most times. It's not the tangible part, but we all Correct. have been in a room or we've been on a date or we've been in the workplace talking to people and you talk about it, right? Oh, this mm -hmm. person has good vibes or there was certain totally. energy about this this venue, this I feel this good when I'm around them. Event. I feel more alive when I'm and hopeful mm. when I'm around them. You know, it's right. infectious. It's right. contagious. And that's what you're talking about, that's right? That's exactly when what we, I'm talking about. Right, it and it's it something that people do naturally, and that's amazing. But it also can be learned, and it can be cultivated um, just as much right. as well. And right. it, it, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. I just like the way I do it, because I mm. think it's the, the, the most fun and pleasurable way of doing sure. it, essentially. But sure. there's lots of ways you can access this side of yourself. Powerful. Yeah. So we talked about verbal, yeah. the dirty talk. We talked about using creativity, which role is playing. the role playing. Yeah. When it comes to touch, I know you mentioned there's like five different elements of yeah. touch. Mm -hmm. Can you just walk us through like, because people think of touching as spanking basically right. when it comes to the bedroom, right? But there's so many layers and different varieties that you can incorporate touching into pleasuring your partner. Absolutely. What are those five? And can we just quickly go through those? Absolutely. So, you know, I like, uh, this is a very tantric lesson, just wanting you to know yeah. where it's coming from. And we talk about the five elements of touch. So we think about what the elements are. So if we're thinking about fire, for example, the physical touch I would be giving someone would be rough and it would be invigorating and it would maybe even create heat in my body and their bodies, et cetera. Hmm. Uh, water would be like really flowing uh, along the person's skin and like, you know, creating an idea of just flowing of energy. Um, air would be very, very light. It could be just like the fingertips or the very tips of the the pads of the fingers or, or the nails. Right. You know, it, it could be like blowing on somebody's skin as well. You could actually bring your own air That's into it. That's the air, it. right. Yeah. Mm. Earth would just be like really deep pressure touch where it just feels like you're really grounding the person you're with with just like pressure mm. and stillness and intention. And then ether is just not, it's a hovering over the skin where you're actually using energetic touch, where you're not actually physically touching the person, but you're moving your energy along their bodies mm. um, and giving them that sort of sense. So it's actually really cool when you think about bringing in the elements to the erotic world because yeah. then you're you're sort of feeling this communion with um, nature almost and it's actually really natural for humans that we've kind of gotten away from we're so sort of dependent on um our sex tech which is great you know it's nice to have options and bells and whistles yeah but people become really dependent on you know things that are outside of themselves in order for their, them to have pleasure so mm. it's like how do we get back to our capacity and what we actually already have and what we're already sitting on and just go deeper with it. Yeah, it just reminds me of the layers that you go into. I mean, just within the one component of mm. maintaining desire and attraction in the bedroom, you just laid out five different tools Mm -hmm. that people can use. Most people think about, okay, so you do foreplay and then you penetrate mm -hmm. and yes, that's kind of it, that's right? that's it, right. And then maybe within foreplay, you use certain tongue movements and that's kind of totally. the, 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 the vast of their knowledge based on what we've been educated on. Yes. Um, but but it's like, you know, anyone can tie someone else up. Anyone can spank another person. But if you can really get into someone's head, if you can get into somebody's heart, like that's a completely different penetration, right? Hmm. So like we, we went through these elements of touch, but it's also like, how do I touch your mind with my voice? Like, how do I touch your emotions, you know, with my energy? Like, how do I move you with the other parts of my beingness? You know what I mean? Sure. And like expand even bigger because it's yeah. just infinite, the possibility, Sean, of like how 
how an erotic uh, scenario can look like. And our genitals may never make an appearance the whole right. time. You know what I mean? Like I'm just turned on by life. And I feel that like wanting to be penetrated by all that life offers and the abundance of life even, and like bringing that into everything that I do. And mm. You know, when I when I'm working with people, I'm like, how do I penetrate their heart? Like, how do I get into their hearts? Not, not like, you know, how do I turn them on? You know, there, there's these different ways of kind of playing with that that feels just a lot more juicier and a lot more resonant with me. Sure, and you claim yourself as a sapiosexual, which I am That's, as well. Yes, and isn't it so good? Yeah, I mean, you do need some intellectual conversations. Yeah. You need to be able to rile the emotions. Um, I don't know how common that is for girls versus guys, which kind of brings me to my next <laughs> question is, when it comes to attraction or maintaining desire, are there differences between men and women that you find that are mm. more common? You know, when it comes to like on a biological level, there is a way that men are, you know, leading more with what the, the, their, their sense of sight says, like what's happening Visuals. visually. Right, yeah, right. exactly. And um, for women, it's really about resources and also how the person makes them feel. Mm. So it may not be as dependent on physicality as men. There's also in the erotic sense, when we're thinking about turning people on, there might be a way that if you're a man, you might be leaning more towards being turned on in a visual way as women are more auditory. Um, and want to actually have descriptive language and, and um, actually feel like it's being described to them in certain ways. So like the dirty talk in that sense would be very different. So dirty mm. talk is great. If you're a man listening to this, dirty talk for women is a, a really, usually a really great way to go. Of course, get consent just like everything else. Sure. But uh, most times, yeah, that's really what women are longing for is to feel like that it doesn't have to result to this physicality, that there actually can be an emotional component to mm. their eroticism so that they can like kind of open into their fullness. And it doesn't have to be even it. when you're in person, right? It could be exactly. different. You don't have to be in the same right. room, in the same city. Like, you know, it's just um, the possibilities are so big in that sense. So sure. yeah, so in, in that way, playing with those strengths and weaknesses is, is a really fun way of playing it, but also, um, opening up your partner's conditioning as well. So like in the erotic blueprints, a lot of men test as sexuals. Now, are they actual sexuals or did they just like learn everything that they know about sex from porn? Right. You know, you're not going to see a lot of energetic porn where they're just eye gazing and like playing with energy. Like that's not the kind of porn that's available on Pornhub. I haven't seen it yet anyway. Um, <laughs> so men are sort of conditioned and programmed to look at sex in a certain sense. And sure. just like women are through their fairy tale, like, you know, um, sort of movies that they're watching. So it's good to also kind of push the the, the edges of that as well and kind yeah. of expand into other areas of turn on and exploration so that mm. you're not just necessarily staying in these places that you were programmed to be in, in in the beginning. Yeah, very insightful, Kimmy. Mm. Final question for you. Okay. With the work that you're doing. Yes, I will spank you. <laughs> Gosh, I've been waiting for you to ask me this question. Uh, off camera. That's just got to my own defense. Um, with the work that you're doing now in terms of serving others, what's the impact that you want to have for mm. others listening? I just want to remind people of what's possible. Like I've been able to witness in my own life and in others 
just how expansive and life-affirming it is to actually know that you have your own internal medicine, that you actually don't necessarily need anything outside of yourself to have everything that you want. Um, and that is, to me, the most important thing, because I feel like the powers that be do not want us to know this. They don't want us to really have the sense that we are designed for pleasure and our bodies were made for pleasure and that we are worthy and deserving of it just because we breathe, not because of what we do for others, but because we exist. So for me, like that's my biggest impact is just reminding people of the truth and reminding them who they are and what's possible. Mm. Well, I appreciate it, Kimmy. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming Thanks on for the show. Thanks for having me here.